Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can find us at The Wonderful World of Wine. Today, we're excited to talk wine with Franklin's own Bob Vozella of La Cantina Winery. Kim, did you know of this winery? I knew of this winery actually through you, Mark. So Bob owns a small winery here in Franklin that produces their own wines. And he was generous enough one season to invite my family and myself to come and participate in one of their winemaking days. So so Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about La Cantina? Well, thank you very much for having having me on the show. This is definitely a pleasure and very excited to talk about winemaking. Really, you know, Italians have a love for family, friends, uh, food, and, and of course, a little bit of vino and, and, and obviously tradition. And that's how it got started with me. My my mother's uh, side of the family and, and father's side of the family came over from Italy in uh, in the 60s, really brought their winemaking passion and, and tradition here, uh, especially from uh, my mother's side of the family there. In, uh, in 2005, I had purchased a, uh, my grandparents' house uh, it was their first house that they had bought uh, coming over from Italy in 1963. It was then my mother had said to me, hey, Bob, you know, let's make some wine, kind of family tradition, kind of similar to uh, pasta and meatballs on Sunday. From there, things really got kicked off, I'd say, you know, where the first few seasons I made it the way my grandfather did. It was uh, it was either uh, drink it quick or it'll turn to vinegar, or I could only give you a small amount. Otherwise, I'd have to be carrying you out, you know, based on the potency of it. I'd say for the first few years, uh, it was, you know, perfecting the process, if you will. I mean, it it is considered an art form, but, you know, really making it it drinkable. It was in roughly 2008 through 2009, I I went, or actually 2010 even, I took uh, online classes at UC Davis in uh, California uh, and and achieved a degree in enology. And from there, I constructed a a full working uh, winery in the basement of our home. Took uh, from what my grandfather had, which was his hand dug cellar where he was, you know, making the wine in demijohns and using old whiskey barrels to um, base that had temperature control, fermentation control, for, and and also in the barrel room, you know, and just kind of bringing it from uh, the old traditional style of, of Italian winemaking to something a little bit more uh, advanced. So it was in 2015 when um, when I became an official winery. And, and what I mean by that, it's a, it's a bonded premise through the, the TTB, uh, uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and obviously the the assistance from the town. So that really is uh, is kind of a quick history, if you will, you know, in a nutshell. As of recent, we in in July of 2017, we opened up a little tasting room that's located at 355 Union Street in Franklin. I love the story, Bob. I went to the website because I think a long time ago we found each other because I did a Google search. I love my Google. And I found winery in Franklin or some sort. We connected. I think that's how we connected. But I'm always bugging you with wine questions. And your tasting room, you have grew up in town like myself, is the local barber shop years ago. So I think the history behind that itself is just really great. I love this whole idea of the you get the idea to make wine because that's what your family did. And we hear the 
this all the time from people whose whose family came over from Italy or they came over from Spain or they came over from Portugal. You know, we have all these stories of people like, oh, my grandparents made wine in the basement or oh, my parents made wine in the basement. And it's really wonderful that you've been able to take that tradition that you always had with your family and grow it into something more. You've turned it into this really wonderful quality wine production facility and, and the wines are, are quite good. How did you uh, develop this idea of going from just making wine for family consumption into this idea of the co-op that you started a few years ago? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, when I, I would have people come over and, and they would make wine with me and it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And the more I saw people enjoying it and the more smiles I saw on people's faces and really the more it strengthened the neighbors and the community is what led me down that path of saying, hey, you know what, if you know I'm going to make a little bit of wine, we can make a little bit more and you know people can take it home and they can enjoy it. And, uh, and from there, that's right, Kim, we started the co-op where, um, we, where we source the grapes. People come over and they take part in every step of the winemaking process. And we're really not one of these places where, you know, don't bring the kids or the dog. It's it's a family activity, right? And uh, the people that come over, they, they say exactly, oh, I remember making wine with my father or my grandfather. And for me, it, it's a way of, of sharing that tradition. Wine, in fact, uh, brings people together. It, it creates relationships. And um, I think... I think uh, that's really what what led me down that path of of doing the co-op. I have this wonderful picture from a couple of years ago when we visited you and I I brought my kids and my husband and my uh, my son Liam when he was seven at the time. I've got a great picture of him eating Malbec grapes that you had a bunch of grapes out on a table so that people could see the different grape varieties and what they looked like in grape form instead of just in a bottle. And it was really interesting for my kids to be able to to taste the grapes and uh, all the funny faces that they were making. (laughs) I think the tradition thing is really special if you not from the town of Franklin. There are so many people and, and families that have been making wine for years. And um, I always stash, people will always bring in a bottle of homemade wine to me and I'll keep it and show people during a class, you know, this is homemade wine. And I'm glad you touched on the alcohol because a lot of times it's just so high. And a lot of people now are mixing other things in with it to give it actually flavor. So I think you conquered the flavor, the good flavor mm. part in the, in the town. And I'm glad you're keeping the whole traditional live and and running with it. I think it's so great for the town. You talked about alcohol levels. How do you maintain a certain amount of alcohol in your wines? Yeah, that's a... So, you know, there is clearly a lot of science behind it. And I have a few pillars of of what is important to me when making good wine. And one of those is the the first one is good grapes, right? So um, we we cannot make good wine from bad grapes. It can certainly be done, but, you know, other things are being put in that wine that may may not be flavorful or, or, you know, may not be attractive if you knew that w- if it would actually contain it. Um, so the way I basically control alcohol, alcohol is based on the natural sugar in the grape. From my California vineyard that I work with, it's it's a family-owned vineyard out there owned by the Lanza family and um, passed, passed down over four generations. And currently it's two brothers that manage it, Ron and Rick. And um, I'm in constant communication with them as far as, you know, how the grapes are progressing and, and sugar levels and things like that. So the alcohol level level is is strictly uh, generated from the level of sugar and um, and the time of, of when that is being picked. So what happens through the course of fermentation, that sugar is converted into alcohol. Grapes that are left to hang on the vine and wilter in the sun will, will tend to have um, have higher sugar content. So I'm, I'm pretty close with, with, the, with the vineyard as far as that is, is being controlled. <laughs> 
You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And my website is vinitaswineworks.com. Mark's website is franklinlickers.com. And today we've been speaking with Bob Vozella from La Cantina Winery here in Franklin. His website is lacantinawinery.com. So Bob, tell us about the process of how you went about figuring out what grape producers to buy from, what types of grapes to buy. I know you source from a number of different places, both in North America and South America. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that process? Absolutely. I previously mentioned in, in Mark's question, I mean, the, f- the first step in making a quality wine is is sourcing good grapes. Uh, initially, I've I experimented with uh, several different uh, vineyards throughout California and also uh, as, as far north as, as Washington State. You know, I, what I was looking for were a couple of things. One was the, the quality of the product, the, the consistency of the product, but also the relationship. This this isn't my day job. This isn't my night job. I, I got those things covered. I figured if I was going to do this, I, I'm doing it for the tradition and I'm also doing it to to build relationships. And, um, you know, I really connected with uh, Lanza Vineyards out in Susan uh, Valley, California, just over the hill of Napa. And um, it was, you know, when, when I could call the, the vineyard owners directly or and, and converse about the, the type of grapes and the styles and, and their growing patterns, it was it was when I knew I had selected the right the right vineyard there. And I'm already planning our the 2019, excuse me, 2018 vintage for, for September with them. I just actually talked with the owners last week, but you know, and so that's, that's on the California side, the North American side, but from the South American side, my, my area is, is not very big and I'm not producing hundreds and hundreds of barrels. So I wanted to have a little variety. And, and, and as the grapes come in from California between the September, October timeframe, we're able to get these grapes from Chile, which arrive, you know, middle of May or so. And once again, um, for that, I'm working with the distributor where they're bringing in uh, containers, a couple of containers of grapes. Grapes are coming from Curico Valley. It's just an hour and a half south of uh, Santiago. And once again, the, the vineyard over there is is owned by a family that has been in their family for generations. And um, the distributor I work with visits out there at least once a year and, and sends me back uh, pictures and, and the stats and, and, the, and the, the process of how the grapes are up and coming. So for me, it, it's it's really the connection that, that I have with these folks. It's great how how you source out the grapes and I always follow your your Facebook where you're showing the grapes arriving and people try a long time ago the reason I reached out to you was about wine labels and Kim always gets on me about my geekiness with the labels <laughs> but you had you on the back of your wine bottles it says produced and bottled in Frank so I always use this as a prime example that you are making you're fermenting you're making this wine in Franklin and you are bottling it so you can use the term produce and, and bottle by. Do you did you have a, any hesitation about using a filing for that term? Yeah, that, that's uh, that's very good, Mark. Um, you're right. Pr- we we do produce and bottle here in Franklin, which means we're sourcing the grapes and we're taking it from from grape through fermentation and then into bottling. So yeah, no, no hesitation in in using that term. When you see on a label, it might say bottled by. That doesn't mean that they had anything to do with with the wine process um, at all. So uh, some folks get a little tricky, you know, or or, or they might. Not 
not think it's local, if you will, uh, because I'm not growing the grapes on Union Street. Oh, it, growing grapes here in Massachusetts or, or New England um, can certainly be done, and, and it is being done by, by some of my colleagues out, out in the industry. Aaron App Cellars is, is a very small winery out in um, in uh, Westford, or uh, even if you go a little bit larger into uh, you know Westport Rivers, or I, I'm very close with the folks out in Truro, and they're growing their own grapes. But you know if they have a bad winter like we did in 2015, it really puts those folks in in jeopardy. So um, you know can grapes certainly be grown here? Yes, they can. But uh, are you really going to get a Cabernet or, or a Malbec uh, out in this region? Uh, the answer is is probably not, and or very difficult. Yeah, and I think you're doing it very smart in that you're sourcing from North America, or South America, so you can continue to make it. Plus, you don't have the time to start growing <laughs> grapes, or as we know. Right. What about you? Said you you source from the Susan Valley, correct? Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked into actually using that region on the label? Because they do allow to say where you're sourcing from. Would, would you consider that? Yes, um, I would. And actually, uh, for a couple of the wines, I I did experiment with with that putting that on the label. Though the the restrictions there were pretty tight, it only allows me to sell wine within Massachusetts. So right now, I'm I'm not doing any direct shipping. It's a whole nother permitting process that that I haven't really encountered yet. And and to be honest with you, I'm really not selling out of Massachusetts. So, you know, I think down the road that there, there is an opportunity for me to certainly add that again on other wines that I am producing. So what determines the styles of wine that you decide to make? Is it only what grape varieties you get or is there a little bit of sort of creativity in the winemaking process for you? Yeah, the, um, I, I would say it's it's a combination of both of those. Also, um, the, the co-op program that we have, uh, which I can explain in a little bit in depth uh, later on in our conversation here, is uh, the, the co-op really plays a big role in that because um, if I have some members that come to me and say, oh, geez, Bob, we really want to get some you know grapes from, from the Willamette Valley. We want to do a Pinot Noir or, or something along those lines. I, I can certainly um, you know put pull that source together. So it I, I do stick with you know the standard that, that everyone goes to, whether it's the Cabernet Malbec Merlot. And then every year I, I throw in something a little bit different to kind of spice things up um, and, you know, and also please the members of the co-op. So for the, the 2018 crush from California, that was our biggest crush to date. Um, we did over over 10,000 pounds, which is about five ton. And, you know, it, it's fairly large in, in many aspects, but um, we made eight different varietals. So, you know, everything from the Cabernet Malbec that I spoke of, but even into the Barbera, the Sangiovese, Tizara. Uh, and then from those varietals, what we'll, we'll do is we'll, we'll make some what I'll call heritage blends. I'll do some Italian style blending um, and 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 do a little bit of the uh, the art, if you will, into the winemaking. Any whites in your lineup or just red? Yes. Um, so we we do a lot of whites. Um, the the reds uh, I really enjoy because they're when we do the fermentation. You know, we're extracting the the colors from the skins. Uh, the process is it's much more labor intensive. We we do a, a number of whites, um, and and the process in the white winemaking is a little bit different. Where where we will crush into stem and we'll press immediately and then we'll just start the fermentation just on the white juice itself. So not really as challenging as the whites. Um, you know, I, I have some videos on my on my Facebook feed that really show that, that natural and active fermentation that's happening when, when we do the, the reds. So for whites, what I'll do from, from time to time is I'll mix it up. But um, on the lineup, we have a Chardonnay that's unoaked, um, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I did a rosé that, that came up very nice and I'm, I'm producing 
producing that again. I was able to source some grapes from Italy. So we're doing a Pinot Grigio in a very small batch and a couple of Riesling varietals. What's that cranberry wine all about? Oh, geez. <laughs> that is exciting. Um, one could call it a mead, but uh, I, I think, you know, there's no technical terminology. I guess I kind of go with it as and call it cranberry wine. We source the honey from the Franklin Honey Company, and the cranberries come from uh, Cape Cod Select and Carver, which uh, the Trahans, uh, Roger and Lauren, have a, have a fantastic operation on Green Street where they have, they have beeves in, on their property and, and among several other properties in town and they're actually related also to the folks in Carver which run a fantastic operation um, I went in I went down there to pick up the cranberries and it felt like I knew the folks for, for years but basically the, the exciting recipe there is is cranberries and honey You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. Today, we are talking with Bob Vozella of La Cantina Winery in Franklin. You can get more information about Bob at lacantinawinery.com. For information about myself, you can go to franklinliquors.com. And for information about Kim, you can go to vinitaswineworks.com. So, Bob, our... My next pet peeve, as Kim knows, is additives in wine. And I'm always bugging you about this, calling you up. How can I test this? How can I do that? Sulfites, everybody asks us. I'm sure you get it in your tasting room quite often. Do you add any sulfites, number one? And do you monitor or measure it so you know to, say, contain sulfites on your labels? Mm -hmm. So um, the the first question, the answer is yes, we do add sulfites. Uh, Sulfites? are merely a, a preservative. So folks that um, they say, oh, well, we're allergic to sulfites or, or this or that, you know, pick up a, a, a package of dried fruit or, or, or even some sriracha sauce and, and you'll find that it contains um, a form of sulfites. Uh, what we do is we, we monitor sulfites very closely. I have a, it's basically, it's a small computer that um, we take a small sample of the wine. It goes into the small computer and it tells me how much sulfites are in the wine by measuring PPM, which is equal, which stands for parts per million. Um, for the label, right? If you pick up a bottle of wine, it says contain sulfites. The the ruling on that is if it contains 10 PPM or less, that means it. Uh, I can. I don't have to put. It doesn't contain sulfites. The the fact of the matter there, folks, is um, you almost need to chemically strip the sulfites out of the wine because um, the sulfites are a natural production through the wine making process of just mere fermentation and and. The the wines that don't contain sulfites can potentially be a little risky as far as you know how long they'll last or, or, or even their shelf life because um, even through amounts of oxygen uh, getting through a cork or even a cap um, could certainly damage the wine if it's not protected by sulfites. So um, really the, the amount of sulfites is controlled by a couple of things. The first thing is the, the cleanliness of, of the grapes coming into the winery. Were they clean? Were they free of, of any mold or things like that? How well were they cared for at the vineyard? The, the the next thing is how clean was your winemaking process and how well was it monitored is is another control of the sulfite. So if if my process is somewhat unsterile, if you will, and by far it's not, my sulfite level would need to be increased um, in order to, you know, for that level of, of uh, protection. So, you know, in, in a nutshell, we're, we're monitoring sulfite right from the very beginning uh, as grapes come into the winery through the barrel aging and, uh, and then at the very end at bottling. So you can detect a sulfite on a grape 
skin right off the truck. Yes, absolutely. So what we do is um, I'm, monit- I'm measuring the sulfite right there at the very beginning to see if, if the vineyard had sprayed because sulfite is a, um, you know, gets sprayed on the grapes as, as a protectant in the vineyard. Or it could be used as a, um, they could be put on a, like a sheet of paper, if you will, as a packaging uh, protectant as, as the grapes. So would you say sulfites are the only additive that you would use or do you consider acids or mm-hmm. also an additive? Yeah. So um, the other other additives um, that could potentially take place in the in the winery, Mark just mentioned acid. So depending on the region that the grapes are grown, for example, if if they're coming from Lodi and you know the growing region there is very hot, so the the acidity level in that could could certainly rise. Um, tartaric acid could be used to to bring that down a little bit. Um, typically, where the growing region that I'm sourcing my grapes from, the the acid that I'm uh, if I, if at all I'm adding a very small amounts of tartaric acid just to bring the pH within an acceptable range of it's typically between 3.5 and 3.6 in the reds and roughly 3.2 to 3.4 in the white. It it is an it is natural and it's it's part of the grape already. It's just a matter of hey how much is being added. The the other item that I do add is I add some once again it's all natural but it's a pectic enzyme which helps break down the the skin in in the fermentation. So given that you have this understanding of what wine is from the production side of it and not just from the consumption side of it. Given all these things that you know, what from your perspective and from a flavor perspective, you know, how would you define a good wine? Mm, that is... Um, that, That's a tough one. No, no. You know, I, that, that is the best question because, um, you know, and I say that if, if I would ask you folks out there in, in, that are listening to the show, what would be the most popular wine? You know, and, and you'd be puzzled with, geez, you know, what do I see more on the shelf? of or you know what, what have I read lately in the paper or what do the stats say really the, the most popular wine out there is the wine that you like right and um, you know running a tasting room and Mark especially you know running Franklin Liquors and being in the business for so long and, and Kim in, in your line of work and, and your studies you, you quickly see that people have so many different likes and dislikes um, you know I could do a private party and the whole the whole group might like a, a sweet Moscato where the you know the, the next private party everyone just wants some heavy bold red so what what I've what I've done really was kind of train my palate to like just about everything and not be closed-minded, if you will, and try to get an, an understanding of what what makes a sweet wine sweet. And it's not just going and, and adding a hundred pounds of sugar to it. It's stopping the fermentation naturally and achieving the right sweetness from that natural grape. Or you know, when we talk about uh, oak in wine, it's not necessarily we're not adding uh, powder or or little cubes to the wine that we're making. We're, we're importing barrels uh, directly from the center of France where, where these forests are, are protected f- specifically for, for wine barrels. Um, so the, the flavor compounds that I'm looking for in, in the varietals that we're making is really, I think about folks and say, geez, what, what would they like? And, and it's not necessarily drinking a two by four, if you will, in some cases. You've been listening to Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone of The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And our web pages are vinitaswineworks.com and franklinliquors.com. And today we are having a conversation with Bob Vozella from La Cantina Winery here in Franklin, Massachusetts. And for more information about Bob and his wines, go to lacantinawinery.com. So Bob, you spoke before about uh, the different styles of wine that you're currently making 
anything that you've made for the last couple of years, you know, big reds, red blends, anything on your bucket list for the next couple of years about some new styles that, that you think you'd like to try? Yeah, you know, this was the first season where I, um, I've done some small batches of Sangiovese and Barbera. What I'm, what I'm going to be doing is I'm, I'm collaborating with the chief wine, head winemaker, if you will, over at uh, Truro Vineyard down in, down on the Cape there. Um, great, great knowledge of, uh, vast of knowledge um, from, from that gentleman there. And, you know, he's, he's been up to, uh, to my winery and I've been down to visit him. So what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be co- you know, collaborating and coming up with a, a heritage series, if you will, of, of Italian style type wines to really kind of put a bow on top of, you know, what, what I'm doing and the reason why I'm doing it and, you know, kind of, you know, bringing that family tradition uh, back around to a full circle, if you will. So um, m- more to come on that. Not, uh, you know, we're in the process of kind of, you know, playing with some some different varietals, but uh, but more on that. Is there anything uh, new as far as what you can get from the folks that you currently work with in California and in South America? Um, yes. So what, what actually, uh, I'll throw a, a, a loop into this here for a minute if I could. Um, I'm going to be sourcing um, some grapes from South Africa, um, you know, coming uh, this late March or so where, where we plan on doing um, a, a varietal that's widely grown down there called uh, Pinotage. So um, that that will be a, a something exciting for us where, you know, not, uh, you know, rel- readily a- available to everybody, but um, through through my distributor that I use, I'll be able to source some of those grapes. Well, let's talk about taxes on wine. Now, when you applied for your winery license, you, you have to pay to the federal government tax per gallon, correct? Yes, that's correct. Is there anything Franklin is getting from you other than the local <laughs> wine room? <laughs> tax because uh, Franklin listeners want to know what they're making from you tax wise yes so um, currently what uh, I am paying a, uh, a federal government tax um, it has to be done yearly uh, the reporting structure there is is very intense um, I guess it maybe initially more than I bargained for you know for folks out there that, okay you know let's make some wine it's fun it's great but as soon as you start to sell it, it it becomes a big a different ordeal from the state of Massachusetts I actually uh, report monthly and and pay uh, a tax from that. <clears throat> and actually, some of my colleagues are, are in the process of, of being audited, of which, you know, my, my records are pretty tight. But uh, for the town, um, I guess the interesting thing there, Mark, is the town has been very good with me as far as I've been on the forefront of, of this whole process of craft wine or, or even there's nothing really yet for craft beer. Hopefully, somebody um, will, will take that step and I'd be more than willing to help them through the process. But um, uh, the tax I pay for the town is is through the tasting room and and the different permits that that I'm that I've acquired. So the the law tasting room law is you you can only sell you your own products, correct? That's correct, Mark. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I cannot uh, I cannot serve or sell anything else that um, unless it was made uh, by me, produced and bottled by me at the winery. And what is the uh, the average Franklin winemaker can make? How much legally without reporting? Is it like 200 gallons? It's huge, right? Um, the the average winemaker um, or home winemaker, if you will, is uh, is 120 gallons per an adult per a household. So, right, the, the average person can certainly go out and 
uh, and source the grapes and, and, and purchase the equipment and, and make wine, you know, at their leisure. But if they, they want to do it right, they see Bob and drink Bob's wine. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or certainly give me a call and, you know, I, I'd be more than willing to uh, to help anybody out. The, the best part for me is, um, and, you know, the, it's it's great that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here with, with, with Mark and Kim because one would think that, uh, or, or there have been some folks that have thought, well, geez, Bob is now our competitor, if you will. Um, but, you know, where, where Mark and I have really, and, and, and Kim have developed a strong relationship and, you know, worked well together. And it's not about the competition. Um, and, and one would also think that, geez, you know, the, oh, the vineyard in, in Westford or the, the winery in, in Truro or, you know, the, all those guys are in competition. And, you know, no, it's, we're, we're collaborating. We're working together. We're, we're trying to make each other stronger, if you will. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, I find it great that, you know, Mark and I work well together. And, you know, if Mark is not going to go out of business if one less person buys one less bottle of wine or I'm not going to go out of business because somebody's shopping at, at Mark's store. It, it's we're, we're growing off of each other. I actually really love that you're around and that your wines are so readily available for me because as a wine educator who travels all over the state of Massachusetts, I get requests quite often for people that want to taste local wines and taste things that are produced here in Massachusetts. So what you are doing fits really nicely in some of the classes that I've done because I like to show people like the different categories that all kind of count as local wine. So, you know, you have grapes that are grown here, wines that are produced here that are maybe native to the new world or weren't brought in from Europe originally. And then you have, you know, folks in Massachusetts and in greater New England trying to make European style, if you will, wines from grapes that are from Europe. Um, And then we have folks like yourself who are buying in grapes from other places, but then doing all the production locally. So it's nice for me to be able to show consumers, this is what's out there. You know, this is what is in the market so that if you go into a store that has a selection of wines that are produced in Massachusetts or grown in Massachusetts or what have you, you know, kind of following the local food movement with local wine, local beer, you know, there there are these different things for people to choose from. And this is how they can understand what it tells you on the label and where everything's from and what everything tastes like. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's another, I guess, you know, sort of tool in my toolkit for when I'm trying to teach people about local wines. Mm-hmm. The other thing to add to that, Kim, is we went to a few businesses and they, their whole motto was we want to support local products. And uh, recently we were in TC Scoops and she supports everything local and, and sells Bob's products there. And as far as the business side, I love the whole based on family and, and retail. We, we, we've been a family business for many years and you don't see that anymore, people promoting that. So I love how you support and it always comes back to the family and it's, it's a tradition. Um, the wine world has gone away from that. People are selling their family names to big corporations to continue mm-hmm. what they think is a tradition. So I, I love that whole background. So Bob, let's talk about the co-op. And I think going way back to this is how we also met because you were working with Tri-County uh, doing a class and promoting the co-op and you got me involved in education with them as well. So explain to our listeners how the co-op works. Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we talked about how much wine can you make, uh, you know, legally as a home winemaker and you know you can certainly go out and and buy all the equipment and the grapes um 
which is readily available. Uh, just Google it, right? But um, for for us here in Franklin and at La Cantina Winery, you don't need to do any of that. You can um, when you know as a, when the grapes arrive, whether it's from uh, South America in May or from California in the September October time frame, um, you can come over and you can be a part of uh, you know really the the four major steps, if you will, in the winemaking process. Um, the first step there is um, the grapes arrive and we do what's called a crushing to stemming process. So uh, the grapes are all hand-picked. We're the first people to touch them after being picked in the vineyard. The grapes get put uh, through a machine where, where the stems come out one side, the grapes go through uh, a hose in, into our fermentation room where the fermentation begins. Uh, we ferment on the grapes for about two weeks, converting all the sugar into alcohol. You then come back and you basically take part in the pressing. So you're not sitting in the background and watching. You're scooping the grapes out of the, the fermentation bucket into the press. Um, you know, you're standing there with a small Dixie cup uh, trying some wines that have, have been freshly pressed. It's kind of like an episode of Dirty Jobs. You do get your hands dirty. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because I mean, that's what, uh, you know, wh- whether you're you're a wine advocate or, or you just really, you want to just try something that's uh, a new social event. It, it's a place for, for both of those things. But, um, you know, the after the wine has been impressed, it, what, what happens is the wine goes into uh, stainless steel tanks for, you know, roughly four to six weeks where we'll do a secondary malolactic fermentation. And uh, folks come back and they take part in transferring the wine into the French oak barrels where the wine will basically sleep for about a year and uh, and you come back in, in a year after that and you and you bottle. So you're you're giving the bottles a quick rinse, you're filling the bottles, you're corking and, and you're capping. So I just in, in 30 seconds gave you a rough explanation of explanation of, of that winemaking process but um, <clears throat> the idea is you're the winemaker. You're you're touching the grapes, you're eating the grapes, you're bumping hip, you know, you're exchanging phone numbers with the person next to you because you're having such a good time. You're becoming part of our family, right? And um, you know, my with my wife Anna and and, and my, my three children, I mean, we're, we're involved. We, the, the winery the, is, is in, in our home when, when folks come in. You know, we, we welcome you um, in, into our home. And, and what was funny was um, Kim mentioned that she came over with, uh, you know, with her, her two boys. And I think uh, Liam uh, in May, right, um, has the same birthday as, as my son, Bobby, which was funny. And, you know, the, the kids are running around the backyard, you know, building, uh, building um, forts with the, with the crates of grapes and such. But, uh, you know, it, it's really, it's that environment where we're, we're focused on making a high quality wine that, that you actually took part in doing. So, you know, not to turn this into a, an overly sized sales pitch, but the way it, how can you join, right, is is pretty simple. Um, the, you know, the to join is basically, it's a minimum of, of two cases to sign up. It's uh, 24 bottles. And um, if we're making eight different wines, um, you can pick and choose from from those eight different wines. And, uh, and the cost is relatively, uh, you know, inexpensive. It's, it, I try to make it affordable for everybody. It, it equals about $19 a bottle or $230 a case where you you pay 50% in the beginning and then 50% in a year. So you're not really dishing out a whole lot of money. In the meantime, when you're at these events, you're you're sampling some different varietals. You know, you're we're, we're bringing in catered food from, from your local favorite restaurant. Uh, once again, partnering with, with local establishments and, you know, helping each other grow. Um, so it, it's not necessarily necessarily the the wine if you will that you're taking home it's the experience
Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. Today we're talking with Bob Vozella of La Cantina Winery here in Franklin. To find out more information about Bob, please go to lacantinawinery.com. To find out more information about my partner in wine, Kim, please go to vinitaswineworks.com. And to find out more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. So, Bob, you've been making wine for, for quite a while, and I'm sure when you just started out, you know, it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of learn by doing any major disasters or anything that's happened in the winery that you've got good stories about? Yeah, um, I will tell you very early on um, when I was experimenting, I had a small batch of, uh, of Zinfandel that uh, after pressing, um, I, I transferred into a stainless steel container um, and I, I believe the batch was probably like a 30 gallon or so, 20 gallon batch. What had happened to me was after pressing, transferring, what you should do is you should rack off the, it's called the lees. It's basically, it's the sediment that, uh, that, that takes place after the pressing. You're supposed to rack off eh, within about three days or so. What had happened in my case was I didn't know any better and um, maybe I missed that, uh, that chapter in the book, but um, it sat on the lees for a lot longer. And what had happened was there, there was still some yeast cells that were alive and, uh, and what, and that transferred into some active growth, but it was all buried in the muck, if you will. It was the lees and, um, and it created a hydrogen sulfide smell, which, uh, you know, technical term on that was uh, rotten eggs. So as soon as I lifted up the cover, it, that smell rapidly, uh, went through the, the house and, um, and I, and I had a, a bad situation, um, from there. There, what I, you know, I did was uh, th- there are methods that that you can, um, you know, remove that, and and I was able to to take uh, experiment and try some of those methods, wh- which was which was interesting, but uh, kind of, you know, we made that mistake once and and learned from it relatively. I thought this was going to turn into uh, things exploded and there was, you know, red wine <laughs> sediment all over the place. I wasn't expecting it to take the we had a really stinky batch of wine turn. Very interesting. Well, uh, very quick story. Yes, um, you know, I thought. Early on, and very early on, I, I did make my first or second batch, and I bottled it a little too early. And uh, I had given it to my boss. I gave him a bottle it to my boss, and uh, he he was like he was so proud. He had it in his kitchen on his wine rack, and um, you know, brand new house that he had moved into. And he, he recited the story of you know uh, glass shattering everywhere as the cork bulleted through his uh, his newly installed wine cabinet with a glass front on it. So little free. Uh, re-fermentation activity going on there. That you won't make that mistake again. <laughs> right, no, no. So Bob, when was when was the first time you can recall trying a wine, number one, and who was your biggest influence in your family to get you so excited to follow this passion? Yeah, for, you know, uh, I think if for all you folks out there um, that uh, that sat around uh, a Sunday meal, you know, with, with your Italian grandparent and having a, a you know, a big glass jug of, of Italian wine at the table. You were certainly intrigued of of having a little bit with maybe uh, some ginger ale that your grandmother would fix for you. So you know, vivid memories. Our, it was orange soda in our family. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, it absolutely any any of the above would uh, would certainly do the trick just to um, you know calm the you know the your 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 wants or your needs, if you will, for for that taste as as what they, the adults were they doing. They think they trademarked that too as the Franklin wine cooler. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that, you're absolutely right. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I'd say that was pretty early on, um, you know, my childhood, maybe being exposed to wine. But um, and, you know, I'd say the biggest influence um, started, you know, really when my mom, um, you know, had said to me, hey, um, you know, let, let's let's make some wine. Right. And and that was that was all fun. And I think that's when I had the corks exploding and bad experiments of the such. But um, so you weren't like 10 years old. Right? You were, you were. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was uh, that was in 2005 when when we really first started. But uh, it really had stemmed from my grandfather, Otavio, where um, I can recall, you know, going down on the docks as a kid in, in Providence or or in Boston, <clears throat> down on the docks in Chelsea and kind of him walking the the row, you know, looking for the, the sweetest grape, if you will. But um, it was it was then that um, what, what really started that that passion for me. But uh, but, you know, from my mom getting it kicked off and then um, with, with a great support from my wife, actually, you know, putting up with uh, with me converting half of our basement into a winery and and the investment that uh, that the family had to make uh, both in time and, and also in, in funds, because um, a, a lot of the stuff just doesn't come cheap. So um, a, a big, a big shout out to my wife, Honor, and, and, and the three kids there that have, uh, you know, put up with with a lot of, um, you know, aggravation and patience from me and, and to my mother and father, uh, Bob and Phyllis Fozella for um, just driving that uh, that family passion and, and tradition home because uh, it's, it's important. Well, Bob, thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. It's really been really excellent to have a local wine producer join us on the show and just talk about the things that, that you are working on specifically and then, you know, all the really cool small business things that we do here in Franklin. Yes, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure. I just think it's great that uh, we don't have to search the whole world of wine here today and just go right down the street in Franklin and find some beautiful wines. And I think the whole family thing is just so good for the for wine and general. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, both Mark and, and Kim, um, I really appreciate you and in inviting me onto the show, you know, really giving me an opportunity to, you know, let the folks out in Franklin and, and surrounding towns know that there is actually a winery here because um, there are people that live uh, right down the street that don't know that we that we exist. And um, and, and both of you as have also touched on the fact that the, the local um, the local pride there and, and the fact that, you know, we can work together and, and support each other because um, really, without that, you know, it's it's difficult to grow and succeed. So, uh, you know, thank you very much and allowing me to, to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and join us again for our next show.